Many of you, <clears throat> I think, know the Harmon family, Roger and Jeannie. And Roger has uh, been admitted to hospice care, and he is slipping. And so I wanted us to pray for him and pray for Jeannie, who has just done a heroic, heroic uh, job as his wife and helpmate and caregiver. So take a moment with me and just pray. Lord, we just lift up the Harmon family. We lift up Roger to you. And Lord, we know these bodies are not built to last. And it's such a tragedy when vigorous people, uh, their bodies begin to fail and they're not what we remember. But Lord, we know that you know him and he's trusted in you his whole life. We pray, Father, mercy and grace for him, please, and your will be done. We pray for Jeannie. Strengthen her and comfort her, Lord, as she confronts the loss of her lifetime partner. We pray for the whole family, Lord, that uh, your blessing would rest on that family. And we would surround them with our love. We commend them to you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I have some news for you. Uh, I'm going to ask you to be praying uh, today and tomorrow. We have uh, an appointment with the city of Hermosa. And uh, I haven't been able to bring you any news on our project because there hasn't been any news. So I'm bringing you the little bit of news I have today so you can celebrate and be praying. And, uh, of course, be giving, right? Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we have a meeting tomorrow with the city, uh, and, and we want to get on the um, February docket with the planning commission to uh, be there with uh, Lazy Acres, our potential client, uh, uh, tenant next door. They're already scheduled to be on the planning commission's docket in February. We want to get on that same docket so that the planning commission can deal with us both together. And uh, so there's a number of other little nitty issues that we're going to be dealing with tomorrow. Uh, so be praying that God would give us favor and open door and uh, that would be smooth sailing and that we could get on the planning commission's uh, docket for uh, February. And then we, then we really can start to move ahead with uh, our plans. So be exciting stuff. Yeah. I'm hopeful. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go in the ocean view room and on the wall there's a massive picture. Uh, what we're looking for and praying about. Okay? All right. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to uh, Acts chapter 2. Does anybody remember what we've been talking about these past couple weeks? Community. community. Would you agree with me that community should be a priority for us? Absolutely, absolutely. And more particularly, as we're talking about the broader subject of community, I've also talked to you about this whole idea of doing life together. Do you remember that phrase? Because community can have a, just, a, just a, such a broad, a broad uh, understanding, but we want to narrow it down to, to doing life together. And what does that look like? We talked about that. What does it look like to do life together? But also, there was a second dynamic that I wanted to emphasize with you, and we did that last week. We talked about a community that is transformative. So we're not just kind of in any old meetings or any old uh, relationships, 
but our relationships really have a transformative effect in our lives. And all of that's important because we live in a time, we live in a day uh, of personal insignificance and great loneliness. People are lonely today. You may not, you may not think it. Uh, have you noticed the, the new appendage that people have? What am I talking about? Yeah. I mean, every place you go, you know, you, you, have, you see this, this appendage and there's lots of conversation, but it's very short conversation. High tech, low relationship. People really are lonely and they really are battling as we always have uh, as human beings always battle with this whole idea of personal insignificance. I don't matter. No one cares, et cetera, et cetera. You, you know something of what I'm addressing. I would suggest to you that more than, more than ever, the church needs, because we have people coming in from the outside. All of us came, all of us were non-believers. All of us uh, had issues and problems and baggage. And so the church needs to be and needs to be able to recapture the priority of community because people are designed to be together. God has made us that way. He's made us interdependent. We do need one another. It is a vital part of the good news of Jesus Christ that every single person matters to God. You can't realize that any more than in a loving, gracious, accepting community. Would you agree? You matter to God because you matter to us. You matter to me. I work hard to learn your names. I don't know them all, but I continue to work hard at that. Why? Because you matter to me. Somebody remember the, remember the old TV show Cheers, right? Remember the jingle where everybody knows your name? That's a bar. You ought, to, you ought to be able to come to church and people know who you are. They know your name. You're, it says you're significant. You're important. You count. And so the church needs to recapture this priority of community. Jesus knows each of us, doesn't he? Do you know that he knows our names? He knows our names. He calls each of us by name. He has a personal love for each one of us. I'm reminded of that account in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, when Jesus is walking down the road and he looks up and sees a man in the sycamore tree. Who was that? Zacchaeus. He'd never met him, but he says, Zacchaeus! Zacchaeus had to be startled. He's hiding in the sycamore tree, looking down, just trying to catch a glimpse of this Jesus. And Jesus says, come on down here. I'm going to stay at your house tonight. What a part this party tonight, Zacchaeus. It was this direct personal approach of Jesus that so quickly captured the hearts of many people who were lost and many people who were alone. Nothing captures your heart better than someone who tends to you, someone who pays attention to you. Someone who wants to know you. You could be out there and lost. And when people show care, makes all the difference in the world. Jesus, Jesus, here at last, 
someone who really cared for people as individual persons. How much did he care for us? How much did he care? He died for us. He gave his life for us to redeem us. He went not the extra mile. He went the extra, 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 extra mile. Because he what? He cares for us. This is God. And Jesus called all these individuals, all these people, not to stay in isolation, but to join this new community of God's people. He says, come on, come on in. Come on into my family. He called 12 men, the original 12 disciples. He called those 12 men to share their lives, not only with him, but with each other. He would teach them. He would train them. They were to live every day a whole brand new life, a whole brand new existence in rich and diverse fellowship. You couldn't get 12 more different people together. Do you know that? You read and study the history and the background of all those 12 apostles. You couldn't get more diverse people. They were to lose their independence. They were to lose their independence. And they were to learn interdependence. And they were to gain, gain from each other. They were to gain from each other new, new riches and new strength. They were to share everything. They were to share everything. Their joys, their sorrows. They were to share their pains, their possessions. And in so doing, they would become the community of Christ the King. What a marvelous community. What a marvelous community. In his three years of intimate relationship with his disciples, Jesus gave us, in effect, the model for the church. Think about this. He gave us the model for the church in those three years that he spent with them. He loved them. He cared for their needs. He taught them, corrected them, stimulated their faith, instructed them concerning the kingdom of God, and sent them out in his name encouraged them, listened to them, watched them, guided them. And he told them to do the same for each other. That's the model for the church, when you think about it. When we, when we get a hold of just something, when we just get a hold of something of this God-given quality of such a sharing community, we will speak with great relevance and credibility and spiritual power to this world around us. But it's only when we grow out of and through this community. Only. This was one of the outstanding features of the early church. As you read in Acts chapter 2 and then over in chapter 4, I've given you the passage, I think, in your notes. You read those passages and you see what characterizes that first century prototypical church, they did everything together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They worked together. They witnessed together. They shared their possessions as various needs arose. 
These people were all in, if you will, not to coin a new phrase. And the results of their mutual love was a rich expression, a rich expression of their own individual salvations. There's something marvelous that happens when you get saved. You are just elated. And when you get these people together, there's this rich, joyful fellowship. You all share Jesus in common and his Holy Spirit. And this made an enormous impact on the culture around them. Jesus had said to them towards his death, the night before he died in 13th chapter of John's gospel, he says, a new command I give you. What was the new command? He says, the new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. He's the, he's the model. As I have loved you, love one another. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. You can only do that in community. And then he says, and by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You'll have a testimony. You'll have a testimony that's undeniable. A testimony that this world craves and hungers for. The very fact that you love one another. Later on in the 17th chapter of John's gospel, Jesus prays this prayer of urgency. He prays for himself first, then he prays for his disciples, then he prays for all those who would believe as a result of the testimony of his own disciples. And what, would, what was it that he prayed for? Yeah. The loving unity of their lives together. The loving unity of their lives together that they would bring others to belief in him. People, this, the church is utterly uncommon. The church is radically different from the world. When I became a believer, my life changed. I had been religious in my life. I never disbelieved in God. But when I became a believer, God changed me. And I thought, wow, wow, how long has this been around? It was just, it was exciting. It's still exciting to me. In their commitment to Jesus and to one another, those disciples became the visible manifestation of his body on earth. And so do you and I. Only in our commitment to him and only in our commitment to each other do we become literally the visible manifestation of the body of Christ on earth. We're going to be talking about spiritual gifts in the next weeks and how the body of Christ is manifested through the varieties of gifts and how we function. But if there's no sense of unity and community, it becomes a mute discussion. Everybody's in it for their own self, just like the Corinthians were, and Paul had to correct them. He said it's for the building up of the body, not for your own individual uh, building up. God's power is meant for God's people, not just for individual believers. It's meant for God's power in, in, in community. When people gather together, I like the illustration of a snowflake. A snowflake in and of itself has absolutely no power. Would you agree? But you get enough of them together and you can stop traffic. True? 
So here we are. We're a whole bunch of snowflakes. Let's, let, let's keep gathering together till we make an impact on our community, the South Bay, and who knows how far it goes out from there. Fascinating. Susie, where Susie was telling me she was in Japan a few weeks ago. She watched us on TV in Japan. That's crazy to me. That's awesome. What time did you have to get up to do it? Oh, 11 at night? Okay, I think I was asleep by the time you were watching this. <laughs> Psalm 20, 133 says this. That when brothers live together in unity, it's a good thing. Would you agree? It's a good thing. And it's when brothers live together in unity that the Lord commands his blessing. His blessing pours out on us. The forming of the church into this new community of God's people is the only means, the only means towards the fulfillment of God's much wider purpose, that is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. We are his body. And it's because the church is active and alive in his power that he brings all things together under Jesus. Without God, we're a mess. Without God, the world is still sick and broken and hurting. It's just very simple. I've lived without him. I've lived with him. I'd much rather live with him. I had my eyes opened. It's so clear to me. Every part, every particle of this world has been polluted by sin. Every particle. Nothing escapes it. Nothing at all. Everything is in the power, the Bible says, of the evil one. He's still the God of this present age. We're told by Paul in Romans chapter 8 that creation itself is in bondage to decay. And for this very reason, Christ came to usher in the kingdom of God to bring reconciliation, to bring healing, and to bring restoration. There is no other avenue, no other way where there can be reconciliation, where there can be healing, and where there can be restoration. Only through God's power, through his kingdom. We all long for those things. And they come to us, substantially so, not perfectly, not totally, but we can experience these things substantially. God reconciles us to him. One day we'll be totally, perfectly reconciled to him. He heals us, not totally, but one day we'll be totally healed. He restores us, restores our soul. One day we'll be totally restored. We hunger for that. We long for that. God has chosen his church as his agent to accomplish his great plans. But we first, we first have to experience these things in our own ranks, amongst ourselves. You and I cannot, we will not go out and be his agent of reconciliation of the world to himself. We will not do that unless we are experiencing these things in our own midst. Am I making sense? Yes. It starts with us. It starts with us. As the church becomes 
more united as the church becomes a more caring community of God's people marked by love. Marked by love. There will be a substantial healing within God's creation. Once we see that the church is to be God's agent for the redemption of this world, we can understand why all, all the writers of the New Testament had one common theme. That one common theme was this, to be of one mind and one heart. Be together. Be together. Support one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. It, you see it throughout the entire New Testament. And until the kingdom of God can be demonstrated in our relationships of love, we have nothing credible to say to an unbelieving and broken world. They look at us, the church is a joke. They look at us because, quite frankly, they don't see this kind of community for the most part. And so they laugh. We're, we're a joke. But once this happens, once this, we, we, they see the church really, really fulfilling its role, we have something to say, and people will listen. They will. The burden of Jesus, again, in John chapter 17, was that we would be what? We would be one. We are made in whose image? We're made in God's image. We are image bearers. And part of, part of God, who God is and how he exists, is he exists in perfect, loving unity within the Trinity. Would you agree? The Father, Son, and Spirit. Perfect unity. Perfect harmony. Perfect love. We're to reflect that. Obviously not perfectly, but we're to reflect that substantially. Perfect unity. Perfect love. As image bearers. Am I making sense? You see, the reality of God, that's when the reality of God will be seen among us. And people will take note. People go, wow, wow, wow. In the church itself, becoming a community of love. Instead of allowing ourselves to be divided, divided by sin, divided by pride, we must seek Seriously, to maintain that unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, however difficult that may be. And sometimes it's very difficult. But paramount in our thinking is that we must give up our independence and seek to be independent, interdependent in loving one another. It can be a battle sometimes. But it is possible. I read someplace where it says, I can do everything that God calls me to do because he gives me what? The strength to do it. Absolutely. And in no other way will God's reality and his rule be seen. Our unity in Christ is an expression of the life of God. Our church should be the word made flesh. Would you agree? We should be the word made flesh for the South Bay. People should be able to look at us. Look at Hope Chapel. People should be able to look at us. This, is, this should be our goal. 
Look at us and say, that's what God is like. That's what God is like. Because we are what? We're his image bearers. And we're reflecting his unity. We're reflecting his love. Isn't that glorious? God's love amongst God's people is the most convincing argument for the truth of the gospel. Most, you can have all of the arguments down. You can have all the apologetics down. You can have all the doctrine down. If you have not love, you're nothing. That's what Paul says. It's love. People cannot fight love. Love never fails. I love you. I love you. I love you. Stop loving me so much. I love you. (laughs) What motivates us to, if our enemy is hungry, to feed them? What motivates us to do that? Yeah, love. Not duty, not guilt. It's a love motivation. If our enemy is hungry, if our enemy is thirsty, we love them. We don't get them back. We don't hit them back. Discipleship. Lived out in community. Is essential for effective witness. People periodically will say to me, oh, we need a good discipleship program. We need a discipleship program. We have one. What is it? It's us. It's our community. It's our mini churches. It's our small groups. When I became a believer, the very first time I became a believer, uh, just a whole new world had opened up to me. And some loving people in this congregation enfolded me. I had no idea. I didn't own a Bible. I knew nothing. And they enfolded me and they taught me and they lovingly corrected me and directed my life. They discipled me. And out of that group of people, there is only one who's still alive. And she's here. Not this morning. And I remind her regularly. I says, you know, if it weren't for you and your husband and that Bible study, I wouldn't be here. You're responsible for me. You're responsible that I'm the pastor. So there, don't complain. (laughs) A purely individualistic approach is not biblical. We have to keep rehearsing that reality. A purely individualistic approach to living out the Christian life is not biblical. It's antithetical to God's plan and purpose. Sadly for Christians in many churches today, fellowship means little more than just casual acquaintance. means little more than perfunctory interactions or working on some project together. There's much, much more. When Jesus draws men and women into discipleship, he requires a depth of relationship, a depth of commitment that is much more demanding and as a result leads to much enriching and is very, very powerful. When you really commit to being all in, something changes. You surrender. You abandon. You say, yes, Lord, I give myself to you and to your kingdom and to your will. 
If our church is to become a community of God's people like this, it means more than simply singing the same songs and doing the same old, same old, same old. It's much more. It involves the full commitment of our lives and of all that we have with and to one another. You have to ask yourself, how committed am I? Do I draw a line? I said, I'll go this far, no farther. How committed am I? What is the most important thing that I could be involved in? Building my business. Huh? Running after this, running after that. Everything's going to burn. Now, it doesn't mean that I can't have a business. It doesn't mean I shouldn't be building a business. But that is not the top priority of my life. God's kingdom is. And it's only as we lose our lives, Jesus says, do we find them. Only as we lose them. And as we do that, then, then in fact, we're able to really bring the life of Jesus to other people. Because it's not about you anymore. You're not self-conscious. You're not afraid. You're not intimidated. You lose your life. That's when you find it. And that's when you're most useful in his hands. Jesus' training of his disciples was a crash course. How many years did he have with them? Less than three years he had with those disciples. And he set out to win their hearts. He set out to instruct their minds. He set out to mold their wills and bind them together into his new society and equip them with the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He had much to do in that short span of time. He knew that his time with them was short, that he must send them out into a hostile world, a hostile world which would oppose them, persecute them, and want to destroy them. He knew that. He told them ahead of time. Therefore, there was no time to lose. And the same thing is true for us. There's no time to lose. It's not procrastinating. It's not, well, tomorrow, tomorrow, next week, next month. No, no. Today, I'm going to be baptized today. Today, I'm going to be involved. Today, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to make a decision today. No time to lose. He understood that, and we need to understand that. And although he came to bring them life and life to the full, we like that, don't we? Life to the full. He came to fill their empty hearts with his love and joy. He warned them also of times of trial and suffering. He said, that's coming. A time is coming when you will be scattered. In this world, you will have trouble. They'll lay their hands on you and persecute you. All men will hate you because of me. Many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of, love of most will grow cold. Those words were not a manipulative device. Those words were not an empty threat. The persecution of the early church, if you read church history, you study church history, the persecution of the early church was appalling in its severity and in its cruelty. Just unbelievable. And it was only the love of Christ controlling them that enabled them to conquer in his name. It was only that. In their hearts, God's grace welled up so that they were able to praise him 
with inexpressible joy in the midst of appalling trials. Our default position in the midst of a trial and difficulty is not necessarily praise and thanksgiving. Our default typically is what? Complaining. That just tells us we still, we have, we have, we have room to grow. Would you agree with me? That's why we, that's why we have to be around each other because left to our own devices, we default to the lowest common thing. We're around each other. We're reminding one another, encouraging each other, uh, hanging out with each other, praying for one another. Community. Community that's transformative. Community, I submit to you, that is absolutely essential. If you read church literature and, and, and um, church reports, as, as I do, missionary literature throughout the, the last century, even to our present day, countless millions of Christians have been imprisoned. They've been imprisoned, they've been tortured, beaten, killed for the sake of Christ. It's happening as we speak this morning, sitting in the comfort of this room. People are dying and being tortured for the cause of Christ. And yet in those places where the going has been the toughest, God's grace is so evident that the disciples of Jesus who are patiently enduring these trials with considerable faith and love, they are often a strong rebuke to us. When you see how they suffer, when you see how they endure, when you read their stories and their accounts, when you read the stories of martyrs and when they suffered and how they suffered and how they responded to it rather than reacting to it, it puts us to shame. It puts us to shame. There are more and more signs. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see them. There are more and more signs that even if we live in this comparatively safe world and surroundings here in America, Sufferings are just on the horizon for us too. Despite our new government. Despite the fact that they use Jesus' name. Trials and difficulties are on the horizon for us. And as a result, we must deepen our own personal knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus. As a result, we must grow in our faith our confidence in our Heavenly Father. Ask yourself, am I growing? Am I growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus? Am I growing in my faith? Am I I someone who's contributing and encouraging and exhorting others to grow? Knowing what very really will possibly happen. For years, I've suggested that, that we meet in many churches in, 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 in close to our homes in local areas because if in fact trials and difficulties and persecution does come you know who you can trust you know where you can go you know who you can depend on you're not out there just all by yourself lost you have a family that you can be involved with are you being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit and his power do you know how to do that again in when you're around other Christians, you're learning from them. You're being encouraged by them. I submit to you again, just community is absolutely essential for us so that we, we can maintain and we can continue to grow. 
Above all, we must resolve our differences. We must forgive and be forgiven. We must. We must. We must renew our commitment to one another out of love for him. People say, well, you know, I, I, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Then you don't love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you love his people. You love his church because the church is the body of Christ, however imperfect they are. That just shows you how far out of line you are. And of course, everybody's looking for the perfect church. What are they looking for? They're looking for the, for the easiest people to love. Rather than joining a body that is dysfunctional, problematic, full of weird people. I want to be part of that group. It was Christian community. It was Christian community that withstood the persecution of the first century and turned the Roman Empire right side up. And it is Christian community around the world today that overcomes increasing pressures. Christians, Christians persevere. Christians overcome through the blood of the Lamb. Christians, because we're the only ones, the only people who have God in our midst, empowering us, enabling us to, in fact, overcome. That's the truth. That's our confidence. That's our hope. And when Christians come together in the name of Jesus, he promises to be there in their midst with his power. Together, Together we lift up the shield of faith. Together we extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Together we do this. Not just individuals. Oh, the enemy is attacking. No, together. We band together. We stand together. Lifting up that shield of faith. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now is the time to act. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now is the time to act. Now is the time to make a decision. Jesus decided that community should come before suffering. Community should come before suffering. Why? So that we could assist each other when the necessity arose. I know who I can trust. I know where I can go. I know those who love me. We must understand the importance of community and feel the need to strengthen our relationships. In addition to God's covenant with us, a covenant with our brothers and sisters is the best insurance we can get for times of hardship. The best insurance. The superficial fellowship of many churches is simply not enough. We need to see ourselves as members of one family, one body, eternally united in Christ. We must make that unity real now in strong, loving, mutual commitment and fellowship. Where do you fit? Where do you fit in the community of hope? Amen?
The priority of community, would you agree? Absolute priority. Lord, help us to take these things to heart and to embrace them more fully. And Lord, as evidence that we've embraced you truly, not half-heartedly. I'm reminded of the comparison of King Saul and King David. Saul loved you half-heartedly and David loved you with a whole heart. Lord, you honored David, lifted him up. You gave him a heritage. Lord, help us to honor you with whole hearts that we have a heritage to pass on into this community. We'd be a bright light, a loving light, a united light. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.